This episode is sponsored by Hire.com. Hire.com is offering a new freelancing and contracting offering. They have multiple companies that will provide you with contract opportunities. They cover all the tracking, reporting, and billing for you. They handle all the collections and pre-fund your paycheck. They offer legal and accounting and tax support. And they'll give you $2,000 when you've been on a contract for 90 days. But with this link, they'll double it to $4,000 instead. Go sign up at Hire.com slash show. Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 165 of The Freelancer Show. This week on our panel, we have Eric Davis. Hello. I'm Charles Maxwood from DevChat.tv. Just a quick shout-out, I finished launching Rails Clips. So if you want to go get videos on Ruby on Rails, as we're recording this, there are five episodes up. There will be seven when this comes out. So uh, go check it out. Uh, We also have a special guest this week, and that is Marie. And I forgot to ask how to say your last name. Is it Poulin? Poulin or Poulin. Either or. Depending on how French you feel. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Do you want to introduce yourself? Hi. <laughs> um, I'm a digital strategist, designer, developer, mentor, coach, a um, bit of a generalist. But these days, I basically help designers transition into more strategic business owners. So that's what I do over at digitalstrategyschool.com. I was going to say, your job description sounds like I do everything. Yeah, I'm definitely a generalist for sure, uh, which is definitely sort of scoffed upon in the industry, you could say, but it's also been my greatest asset too. Yeah. So once upon a time before you were helping freelancers be strategic business owners, what were you doing? I was mostly doing uh, large scale, I shouldn't say large scale, for small businesses, but website design projects, you know, WordPress design development, branding projects, uh, print collateral, uh, the sort of typical freelance projects. But I noticed that I was starting to give more strategic advice based on the kind of people I was working with and and sort of observing people go through, you know, launching products and programs. So I was starting to see a lot behind the scenes. So inevitably, I was kind of bringing what I was learning from those projects into, you know, my web design projects. And I didn't actually realize that what I was doing was digital strategy. So it kind of, uh, you know, built up over the years and that started to become my focus. And then you decided one day, I need to make a course on this. <laughs> uh, it definitely didn't go like that. I had no idea that that's something I would, I would be teaching, but I never struggled to get really good budgets on web design projects. And I noticed a lot of designers that were way better than me were struggling freelancing. And I thought, okay, well, it's not because of my skill set. Like, I know I'm not a better designer than them. What am I doing differently? And I just started to ask a lot of questions. I started just befriending other designers and, and kind of looking behind the scenes and trying to figure out what other people were doing, what they were doing differently, and trying to isolate what it was that was allowing me to get these bigger budgets. And I think... So something something I'm sure you guys are familiar with is, you know, don't get personal in your business, right? It's like your business is your business. My partner says this too. He said, this is business, not feels. But I can't help but get really emotionally invested in my projects. And I, I just really care for the people that I'm working with. So I actually feel like my compassion and empathy for the client ended up being something that I was I was able to leverage even in my proposals because I could kind of get inside their head and understand, you know, what do they really want? They're not really just paying me for a website design at the end of the day. So what do they really, really want? So I feel like that ended up being kind of a a sort of key differentiator was that, hey, I actually, I really do care. So it, it was kind of an organic process the way I kind of stumbled into that. It was um, not something I was expected to teach a course on. But Digital Strategy School has kind of taken on a bit of a, 
it's not just about digital strategy, right? It's about the right mindset and behaving like a strategist as well. So um, initially, when I started putting the course together, I was focusing on the strategy side of things, but I realized that people didn't actually even have some of the basics in place. So the positioning, the way they were communicating with clients, um, even kind of their money hangups, all of that stuff wasn't in place. So I was like, oh, I think I'm actually going to have to make a bit of a a freelance fundamentals that kind of came out of it. And so now the course actually has two tracks. It's sort of, you know, prepare your business, get your head in the game. And then the second part is actually practicing digital strategy. So yeah, that was a a strange, unexpected evolution. But um, my sort of experience with hiring coaches and, you know, working one-on-one with clients has really informed the way I'm teaching this course. So first of all, I I just wanted to point out, we we had Brianne Dick on the show last week. (laughs) So, uh, and then I know that you worked with her. Do you want to just give us a quick feel for how it was to work with her if people are looking at her as a coach for a course like this? Yeah, definitely. I don't know if you've ever tried to build a course, but it is pretty overwhelming. You know, I wanted to do it properly. I didn't want to just create a little, you know, ebook or e-course. Like I knew this was going to be something bigger and I didn't know where to start, right? It's it's not the same as, you know, writing a ton of blog posts and putting them together and hoping people engage with the content. So I was a little overwhelmed and I wasn't sure where to start. And I think somebody had said, have you ever heard of Brienne? Checked out her site and I saw, um, I think it was called Transform Your Course at the time. And it was geared at people that either had a course already and wanted to kind of level it up or people that were just starting their first course. It was exactly what I wanted. I think I purchased within 10 seconds of landing on her sales page. So good job, Brienne. And it was awesome. She helped me realize that my audience actually wasn't who I thought it was. And that was actually a really powerful process that I think totally shaped the way, like what DSS became. And, you know, initially I was actually thinking I was going to teach a course for everyday business owners on how to be more strategic with their websites. And really I had access to designers tons of other designers, but I was actually really afraid to sell to my peers. But the the evidence was sort of overwhelming that these are the people I have access to. These are the people that actually want what I have to offer. So yeah, I was resisting that for a while. And the work with Brianne actually helped me see that I was kind of resisting access to the audience I already had. So that was a major, major, um, just DSS wouldn't be what it is for sure if I hadn't gone through Brianne's program. I'm eternally grateful, Brianne. Thank you. <laughs> awesome. If you if you want more about some of the things that Marie's talking about here, go check out the episode. I, I really want to dig into this, you know, going from being a kind of fly by the seat of your pants freelancer into a strategic business owner. Yeah. I'd say the first couple years of my business, probably like a lot of freelancers, it feels like everything is on fire. And you're just like, what emergency, you know, do I deal with first? Which fire needs to be put out first? And I remember hearing a quote by Danielle Laporte that kind of hit home for me. And it was, everything that's on your plate is there because you said yes to it. And it was this moment of, oh, man. I've created this for myself. Like I'm, I'm the one that's saying yes to all these projects and I'm the one that's undercharging. So I've got some control over this. What do I need to do? So it took me probably a year, a year and a half to let clients go, to say no to every project that came through the door and just start slowly making more space for 
everything for fixing your own internal business processes, for those side projects that we all kind of put on the back burner. And I decided it was time to make space for that stuff. So it took about a year to really get my schedule down from, you know, overwhelmed, panic mode, too many clients to, okay, now there's some breathing room, now there's some space. And that's where finally I had some space to think about Digital Strategy School. And that probably, the process from idea to actually doing it was six months to a year. I thought at the time, well, maybe it'll be an ebook for freelancers or that sort of thing. Like I didn't really know what it was going to be at the time. So it wasn't really till having the space, working with Brienne, you know, seeing what a lot of people were doing with these online courses. And I thought there's an opportunity here. And once I started working with Brienne, I realized it was kind of getting bigger than I even thought it was going to be. Like, I, I didn't know this was going to be a six month mentorship program. I think Brienne probably thought I was crazy. She's like, start small, you know, don't just launch something huge out of the gate. But I think for me, the reason I didn't do an ebook or a small, you know, eight week course is the one on one is still really important to me. And it's how I can see how the work is landing with people. So to do a kind of hybrid, you know, community mentorship mastermind thing, I was able to see and get results from people right away and actually see what people were struggling with. And then I could actually go back into the content and make the content better. So, you know, it wasn't 100% finished when I launched. Um, I saw it as an iteration, an experiment, a work in progress. I think a lot of people think you need to have it, you know, fully fleshed out and, and solidified. But this way, I was able to make the content so much better because I knew exactly where people were struggling. That's really cool. I, I want to dig into this uh you know, getting serious about your business. And, and Eric has told me this a couple of times. <laughs> and, and I have to say that I have this problem where I got into this stuff because I like it. <laughs> and so my hobby is kind of my job now. And the thing is, is that it's easy then to, for me to forget that, you know, I still need to focus on some of the business things. And so yeah. I do get into trouble periodically where it's, oh, I didn't do enough things that make money last month, you know? And so now I have to scramble to come up with things that make money this month. So how do you get that mindset where you're looking at your business as a business instead of as a, gee, I really like being a designer or I really like being a developer? Yeah, I definitely spent a couple years, you know, like you're doing favor projects or you're kind of doing stuff for fun and you're doing, um, like I was giving a lot of information away for free for, you know, to people because I, I really wanted to help. And so at some point I had, to, you know, same, same as you, just, okay, this is great. You're helping lots of people, but, you know, you, you kind of need to pay your own bills. So I was tired of struggling. If I take a week off work, I have no revenue coming in. Like that's kind of a frustrating place to be. So you always feel this obligation to work. You know, I'm sure you feel this too, that at the end of the day, you know, at 5 p.m., my brain doesn't just shut off at 5 p.m. and I've stopped thinking about everything that's happening during the day. I don't know if that's a, you know, self-employment freelance thing. It's it's hard to turn your brain off. So I knew that if I wanted to succeed and I wanted to feel less overwhelmed, I was going to have to get a little more creative. And, you know, Digital Strategy School is not, an inexpensive program for sure. So, you know, what I'm doing is I'm building the ability to be generous into my business. So I'm charging a premium price for a premium product and it allows me the freedom and flexibility to, you know, do the fun stuff and to, you know, put more effort into projects where maybe the budget's not huge, but I actually really love what the client stands for. So it's about finding a balance and, you know, diversifying your income streams. And that's what DSS has been for me as well is, you know, shifting away from dollars for hours or, you know, um, just doing client work to having 
this additional revenue stream because there is a do-it-yourself version of DSS. And so that's just, people can buy that anytime, you know? So it's like PayPal notification, PayPal notification, and that's addictive. It's like, great. Okay. I'm starting to see that, you know, there's a lot of potential here and this is just one product. So, you know, what's possible? Where could it go? What could it become? And, you know, what else is next? Once you see a bit of traction, I think, with what you create, it's, it's sort of like, okay, what else is possible? I don't know if that, if that really answers your question, but. <laughs> it kind of does. I mean, so, you, you know, you're looking at what you need and where you need to go and what you need to be involved in. And, and there's a lot to unpack there with, mm-hmm. you know, diversifying your income and getting away from dollars for hours or dollars for, you know, time period. But, you know, I, I also know that a lot of people are making it that way and they enjoy it. Yeah. So, you know, is is there something that those folks can also do to kind of be that serious business owner? Well, I mean, with products and stuff like that, it's you also get freedom. Right. You yeah. know, the easiest one is, you know, financial. Like, you know, if you have products that cover, say, 80% of what you need to live, you can be very, very picky with what clients you pick up for that extra 20%. You know, yeah. there's also the time and location freedom, which a lot of freelancers, you know, say they get into it for that. But I know a lot of people that they still work nine to five <laughs> at home. Like, so they, yep. they have the freedom, but they don't take advantage of it. And I think products or, you know, other revenue streams can kind of give you a little bit of that or a little bit of a cushion, you know, in case you need to fall back on something. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think it's, you know, I want to be treated as a professional. I want to command professional rates. I don't want to struggle. And so, you know, for me, I just started doing research. Like, what, like what's it going to take? What do I need to do to, you know, elevate my own position in the industry? What do I need to learn? Whether it's, you know, imperfection, perfectionism, just wanting to be better at what I do, wanting to be better at my craft, wanting to make more impact in my work. So, you know, for me, I didn't, Working one-on-one with people, there's limitations to your impact, right? Like I can improve this one person's business through our work together, but it doesn't really feel like I'm making a ton of impact on the world. And if that's something that I want to do, then I need to kind of scale scale what I'm up to and, and scale how many people I'm reaching. And I feel like online courses are a really great way to do that. I don't know. I can't attribute who it said it or talked about it, but there's kind of a concept of some people are more predisposed to doing like one deep impact with like one person or a group of people, like a company, like they, they want to go and run a company, make it extremely powerful and good. Whereas other people, their impact on the world, they want it to be broad. Like they want to affect like 10,000 people, but even in a very small way. And so I think some of that could be down to like, you know, how you are, your personality, whatever. And it might be useful to kind of try something to see, you know, Hey, do you like the focus laser approach or do you like the broad approach? I love it. Yeah, I love that you brought that up. Um, one of the first modules in Digital Strategy School is sort of a business audit. Um, and it makes people look at, you know, why are you doing what you're doing? Like, what do you want to get out of your business? Um, what's most important to you? You know, how do you want to spend your days, weeks, years? Because if you don't really know what you're working towards, and again, everyone's goal is going to be very different, right? Some people are, I want to make the most money possible. Other people are like, if I could just put, you know, food on the table and have time to spend with my kids, I'm really happy. So I think it's really, really important to get back to, you know, what do you want your business to be about for you? What could it look like? And then you can start modeling your business around, you know, supporting those goals. That's really interesting. And I think a lot of us don't really think about that. I mean, this is something Mm -hmm. that I've kind of come to over the last few months is that, you know, I need to sit down and I need to figure out where I want to wind up. And, 
if I'm thinking about it, you know, maybe, you know, I keep hearing five-year plans and my deal was always, well, I'll know where I want to be in five years when I get there. <laughs> um, you know, but, you know, having that idea and realizing that you can change it and then work backward and say, okay, well, if these are my goals, if this is the impact I want to make in the industry or in my life or in my family's life or in, you know, where, whatever areas you choose and you realize that you can move that target if it's not where you want to go anymore. Um, but then you work backward and make sure that you're making wise decisions so that you know what you have to accomplish within the next two or three months to get there. That makes a whole lot more difference because then you're actually going where you want to go. And, and I think that's one thing that makes, you know, the freelancer that's just kind of, well, as long as I can eat, it leads them to a different place and it, it gives their business something to shoot for. And even if it's just making more money, you know, at least you have that aim and then you can figure it out. Yeah, knowing exactly what you're working towards so that you're not just reacting to everything that's kind of coming on your plate, right? You're not like, yeah, sure, I'll take that client. Sure, I'll take – well, is that client – I think Tara Gentili puts it as like your chief initiative, right? Like, you know, what's your one focus for the year? And every decision that you make and everything that happens in your business should be supporting that one chief initiative. Mm-hmm. So you're, you're not just kind of taking in any, any single thing that comes along your path. So if you haven't really figured out what that chief initiative is, you're just going to be in reaction mode. Yeah. And that's what I've been doing this year. I, I didn't do it for an annual. I just annual for me, I found is too far out looking. Mm. So I actually do it quarterly. So every quarter I'll do like, okay, what are the one to three things I really want to focus on? And, you know, they might trickle up into like, you know, I have this one goal, but that's actually for my career or this is for my health or whatever. And I found that's really good because it gives me, you know, it's a short time span, but it's long enough to actually have an impact and I could, you know, start stacking stuff up. So in a year, you know, do four sets of these and it actually, you know, it gets me at the end of the year a lot farther along than I was at the beginning. Um, and it's like enough focus so I can do it. And I think what's really great about doing that too is I think we do forget to look at how far we've come, right? Like we forget to kind of celebrate and look look at what we've accomplished in a year. And we're always kind of like setting that next target and moving on. What's the next thing? What's the next thing? And we kind of forget to look back and see, wow, you know, hey, I actually accomplished all those things this year. That's pretty amazing. So I think we don't really give ourselves enough credit to for how much work we put in. Exactly. Yeah. And actually, one thing I've started doing is every week when I do like a weekly review, I write down like, here's what I accomplished this week. And, you know, it's small stuff. It's like, okay, I didn't feel like this week was that productive, but I did get these things done. But then at the end of the month, I take all those weeks and sum them up. And now looking at a month, I'm like, wow, I actually got a lot done. Like, you know, this client had this thing that launched, you know, I did this kind of marketing thing, you know, whatever. And my goal is by the end of the year, I'll actually sum up those months and say, like, here's what I did this year. And I'm hoping that's going to motivate me a lot better next year. That's pretty great. Um, I do something kind of similar with my sort of yearly wrap-up blog post, and I'll do it for health category, you know, career, money, you know, friendships and that sort of thing. And I I just kind of look at what did I accomplish over the year? And so I think doing those either monthly or quarterly kind of check-ins helps you remember at the end of the year what you've sort of accomplished. Well, and I know that in a lot of businesses, they have different structures for this. So they have like key performance metrics and different things like that. And a lot of these uh, companies do that where it's, you know, for our company's vision, person A needs to accomplish X within the next two to three months, which is kind of the time horizon that Eric's uh, working with. I had lunch yesterday with a local guy that uh, runs his own marketing company. And he said that they actually cut the quarter in half. So they do it every six weeks, more Mm -hmm. or less. And so, you know, 
this is what we're going to accomplish in these six weeks. This is what everybody kind of has to do. We're going to pull together as a team because we want this outcome within the next six weeks. And the outcome isn't always like, you know, we're going to double our business. The outcome in a lot of cases is we're going to put these systems in place or we're going to get these different campaigns done or we're going to get these other things, you know, to the place where we want them so that we can accomplish our larger goals. And I, I really like that level of things. And then I actually sit down at the beginning of the week and I look at my week and it's mm -hmm. like, okay, how do I get to that two to three month place out? And I have to say, this is something that takes practice for me. I don't always set good goals for my two to three months, but even being more deliberate about it has really taken my level up a notch, even though I don't always pick the right things. Yeah, and and this is another reason why my program is six months and not like a two-week or three-week program is changing your business takes time, right? So it's about small wins every week. It's about, you know, you're not, you're not going to suddenly fix all of your broken systems even in a week or a month. So it's about chipping away each, you know, every two weeks there's a new theme. It's a new, you know, part of your business to fix. And I just think people feel a lot of pressure to kind of, oh my gosh, my business is in, you know, everything's on fire. How do I fix it? And there's a lot of panic that happens. And so I think part of what I want to do in the program is give people permission to appreciate it as a process. And it's going to be something that you're working on probably forever. As long as you're in business, you know, your business is never finished. You're always going to be tweaking, you know, trying out new tools, seeing what works, you know, adjusting your schedule because, hey, this one like, you know, productivity management thing doesn't work. Like we're always going to be testing and trying out new things. And so I think it's really important to just, you know, find what works for each of us, but give ourselves permission to give ourselves the time and the space to work on our business slowly over time. So besides setting goals and kind of knowing what direction you want to go in, once you make a plan, are there things that people need to do in order to execute? I love the analogy of the startup owner that, oh, I've got a million dollar idea. And they go <laughs> and they tell everybody they've got a million dollar idea for a whole year, right? And there's nothing there because they never actually execute. And then they're angry another year down the line because somebody else comes up with the same thing. Or yeah, someone executes on the idea. Right. right. It's like so so how, do, how do we get to execute? How do we get from, okay, this is what needs to happen this week or this month or this quarter to you know, actual success, actual follow through. I think for me, a lot of it comes simply down to scheduling it in. So if you, if you make an intention, like, oh, I'm going to, you know, fix my contracts. I know that's a thing that I need to do, you know, setting that time aside. And I think at least every week people should be working on their own business. And, you know, whether it's, I mean, I think it should be at least a couple hours a week. If it's a full day or half a day, that'd be amazing. Schedule it in, schedule the time in because, you know, I used to think that just working with clients was working on my business. I didn't realize that, you know, but when working with clients, if I were working on my business, that would be working to get clients and I already have clients, so I'm good, right? But there's so much to do within our own businesses, right? That I think a lot of people forget how the administrative stuff can kind of pile up and, you know, proposals and contracts. And, you know, those are things that we're always kind of tweaking with every new client and every new project. So I think being willing to schedule the time and commit to it. Like, 
actually setting really, really specific goals is really important. So even within each of the topics within DSS, it's like, okay, now this week we're working on positioning. What do we need to do to actually get you to a point where you feel really great about your positioning? Great. Here's an exercise to go through this week, you know, and being really specific about the timelines for those things. If you don't put it in your schedule, it doesn't exist and you're not going to do it. That's sort of how I, I feel about it. Yeah, what worked good for me for a while was taking, I think it was like about half an hour, so a 25-minute Pomodoro actually, but taking that every Friday and using that on what I called like a workshop. Like I would find a problem or something I was struggling with in my business, take 25 minutes of focus, like here's, I'm going to either improve it or come up with ideas to improve it and have that as kind of a, a weekly thing. And, you know, it's not a lot of time. I mean, most people can kind of chunk that out and it had significant improvements. I've used that for some products I launched. I used it to kind of you know, redo my sales process. I've done it for my positioning. You know, and sometimes it's like when you do it, you're like, oh, this is amazing. And you, you know, take in two or three hours just because it's fun once you get into it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When you see progress, right, it's sort of addictive. You're like, okay, great. You know, I should do this every week. Oh, maybe I'll do this tomorrow as well. And you kind of get uh, excited by the momentum. So one thing that I love the idea, by the way, Eric, of setting aside some time and just saying, I'm just going to work on a problem. And you can pick the problem or not, depending on how you work. But one thing that I run into, and I've talked to several freelancers about different things, and one thing is is that they have a real problem because the person holding them accountable is them, <laughs> right? right? And so it's, well, if I don't do this, then, you know, what am I going to Go to your room right now, young man. You know, it's just, you know, <laughs> you, you can totally ignore yourself. Yeah, it takes a lot of discipline. (laughs) So, so are there are there things you can do to have the discipline to follow through on that? I mean, putting it on the schedule and telling my wife, you know what, this is my time, and I have an appointment, and it's important. I mean, that's enough to keep the kids out of my hair, and then I can sit down and do it. But there are some days that I just do not have the energy or will to really do anything hard. How do you handle that? How do you handle it when you do have the the will, but you don't have the self discipline to sit down and just get it done? I may have a slightly different, you know, approach to this. I think it's BJ Foggs that talks a bit about this, like the power of the power of habit as well, like motivation levels. I don't do the work if I know that my head is not in the game. If my motivation is low, I know it's not going to get done. It's not going to get done properly. So when I'm feeling, you know, inspired, when I'm feeling full of energy, that's when I'm going to get that stuff done. If it's a chore, you're going to procrastinate. You're going to avoid it. It's just not going to happen. So I'll even step away from the computer if I have to when I know that that motivation is really low. Uh, but I think you've got to write out what's urgent and important. Like what are the most important things that you need to get done now? And what are some of those small wins? And what are some of the long-term wins? So I think even just having two lists of what's happening now, what's happening later, like what things do I need to do now from a marketing perspective that maybe aren't bringing in money, but I know that three months from now they're going to make a big difference, separate them out into two lists so the short term and the long term and you know each week I'll try and knock off at least a few of the short term ones and at least one of the long term ones whether that's like the Friday morning sort of thing I find that works really well and if I'm not feeling it it's like nope it's not going to happen today okay great I need to schedule that in on Monday instead you know and work with your energy like you've got to work with what's your sort of natural motivation levels one thing I I didn't do because I'm not even joking my list is a thousand light a thousand items long. But one recommendation I had was on your to-do list, if you felt like getting things done or whatever, you might track like, you know, here's the context, like where I'm at, what I'm doing, but track how much energy a task takes, not the time, but the energy. So if you have high energy, you can pick up like, okay, here's a high energy. I'm going to build my 
social media strategy. But then there might be low energy stuff where if you want to make progress, but you just don't have the willpower, you're basically tapped out cognitively, you know, what are some low hanging fruit you can do kind of more mechanical administrative stuff and having that, you know, pre-allocated out before you get to that state can make it really easy just to knock things off. Yeah, I love that. There was a really great Skillshare class on that by this guy, Tiago, that was getting things done, but sort of the digital edition, which I thought was actually really, really helpful. And it showed you how to kind of coordinate your email inbox with Evernote and all this stuff to kind of get you out of your inbox and stop using your you know inbox as a to-do list. And that's been super helpful because he does, he talks about tagging certain um, items based on your energy as well. So it's, I love that you brought that up. So I'm wondering what other things do people fail to do in taking their business seriously? I think a lot of people know what they need to do, but they don't do it. And that, to me, it's it's super interesting when people are like, I know, I know, you know, I'm, I know I'm undercharging, I know this, I know that. So it's really tough because in digital strategy school, I'm mentoring some of the students and not others, right? So some people, I don't necessarily know what struggles are happening in the background, but with some of the students that I'm mentoring, I can see firsthand some of the things that they're dealing with and... I have to kind of reach them where they need to be reached, which is a whole other challenge, right? Like it's a, almost like a coaching challenge. Does this person need more confidence? Do they need more inspiration? Do they need more motivation? Like where can I meet them to kind of propel them into action? And a lot of it comes down to outlining, you know, what is at stake by you not making this change, right? Like the pain has to be painful enough that they're willing to, okay, you know, I've had enough of this, like something needs to change. So I think people kind of need to have their <laughs> F this moment, you know, and actually be willing to start making some changes. Yeah, I don't know if that answers your question, but it's... It does, but it raises a few others. I mean, some <laughs> of the... So some of this is, yeah, it's like, okay, really think about, you know, kind of a pros and cons list or what, you know, what do I have to gain? What do I have to lose? But then there are folks that are, they don't see that pain. Or for example, it's really hard to let go of that client because I like these people, even though they're making my life miserable. You know, it doesn't make sense, but people don't make sense sometimes. Or, you know, I have an employee that I don't need, or I have an employee that for whatever reason could make more money or have better margins or something if I let them go or or I need to hire somebody, which is the other end of things, but I don't want to spend the money. So how do you get around these decisions that are kind of full of emotion and, you know, a, a little bit scary? I definitely operate from a gut-based, you know, does this project feel right? Like, do I really like this client? Is it paying me well? Is it challenging me? So when I was going through that year of just getting rid of all the overwhelm and getting rid of the clients that just, you know, weren't weren't suiting me, I had to make a lot of really, really tough decisions. And, you know, I came up with some criteria for what makes a really awesome project and what kind of projects do I want to be a part of? And it you know comes back to that, what kind of impact do I want to make? What do I want to stand for? Okay, great. So I know that I want projects that you know I can stand behind what the client is selling, that I really like the relationship that I have with the client. I feel good working on it. Um, it pays me fairly. Maybe it challenges me personally or professionally. Great. Those are the criteria. Anyone that doesn't meet you know all five of those criteria, I don't take them on. If I find that a current client is also kind of not meeting that criteria... I let them go. And that took a really long time to be able to have the confidence to do that. But I realized I'm almost doing them a disservice to keep them on, right? If I'm not fully invested, I'm not fully into it, you know, they're not going to get the best of me. 
So great. Let me pass them off to a designer that I know is going to do an excellent job and I get to keep moving forward with people that I'm totally in alignment with. So it does mean making some really tough decisions and just bringing it back to like what matters most to you. You know, I don't want to work with clients that email me on a Sunday for like rushed emergency work that like doesn't even pay me very well. And then I I just end up feeling kind of resentful. So I don't work with anyone at all where I'm going to feel resentful whatsoever. And as soon as I start to feel like I might be resenting a client because maybe they're not paying me enough or everything's kind of last minute, I just say like, I think I'm not, maybe we're not the best fit or, you know, I'm kind of moving in a different direction and I'm happy to recommend you to some people who can help you with that. So honestly, for me, it all comes down to how do I want to feel at the end of the day? One nice thing about that is I've actually coached a lot of people on this is, you know, at the stage you're at, you can do that. You can have, you know, your five items and you could easily decline work and it doesn't Mm -hmm. affect you. I hear a lot of like, you know, new freelancers that are like, yeah, but I need work. I need to put food on the table. Like we were talking about earlier. What I tell them is, you know, make the same list, make the five things. But for now, because you need money, you're just getting started, whatever the reasons, go for two out of five. You know, if they have two out of the five good things, you know, you'll work with them. And then as you get more experience, as you get busier, stuff starts happening, maybe bumping up the, the requirements like they need three out of five, four out of five. And so slowly you start kind of inching your way up to a better client as you define better. Yeah, I don't know who said this, but we're defined by our nose, right? Like who you say no to says so much about you as a as a person, as a business owner, and it leaves you the space to say yes to other amazing, amazing projects. So I think being a business owner means making really tough decisions. It doesn't mean, you know, I'm not empathetic. You know, it just means I care enough that I want people to have the best experience. And even if that means it's not with me, happy to kind of send them off, you know, to work with someone else. So I think a lot of new freelancers when they're in that, well, I just got to take on anything that comes by because it's money. It's a tricky spot, right? Because yes, it's money, but it's also time that you're not able to spend maybe either working on your portfolio, you know, building up other potentially better clients. So it's, it's a tricky spot to be in, but it's it's a commitment. Yeah. Yeah. And it involves a lot of risk taking, I think. And maybe that's been part of my successes. I'm like, well, got nothing to lose. Might as well give it a shot. Like I'm just willing to take some of those risks because I know that the rewards are greater when you're willing to take bigger risks. Yeah. I mean, I've seen that myself. I've had a client who was, you know, so, so they were okay. I was working with them. And then literally like my ideal client approached me out of the blue wanting to work with me, but I was so booked with the other one. I had to decline it and I referred it to someone else and they had a really great project, like got great referrals, great contacts from it. But I'm like, you know, that was kind of like the nail in the coffin of, I need to just take work. That's a good fit for me and not work on subpar clients. Yeah, I had a a similar experience with one of the uh, DSS students that, you know, she said she wanted to take on bigger projects, bigger budget projects. And I said, I actually have one, you know, that I would love to refer to you. If I pass it off to you, would you even have time to do it? And it was this light bulb moment where she realized there was no space in her schedule for those projects. Like the space just wasn't even there. So even if it came along, she wouldn't even be able to say yes. And so she realized like, oh crap, you know, I do need to leave way more space in my schedule for this, these kind of opportunities. So I think, I think people book up to, you know, 100, 120% capacity most of the time oh, yeah. when really we should be probably booking up, you know, 60 to 70 because we still end up being, you know, working at 100% or more. So I think we need to take on less projects and make sure that you're actually 
earning what you need to earn to survive at, you know, 60 to 70% capacity and then leave that space for, you know, projects going over, something interesting coming in the door, a side project, working on your business. It's so important to leave space for that stuff. All right. Well, anything else we should get into before we get to picks? I'd love to talk to you guys a bit about masterminds. Do you guys participate in any masterminds? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Few, depending on how you define the term. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I've definitely been in a few, and I think that's also been a pretty huge, you know, in terms of like keeping motivation or accountability at an all-time high. I think having people that are kind of holding you accountable to making those changes in your business, I'm sure you guys have felt that as well. But I think that's something every every freelancer can benefit from. Is even if it's a, a group of you know like-minded friends, I think it's it's really important. You know, you learn so much from talking to other people about the way they run their business. So I think having different types of masterminds in your in your sphere are really, really important. Yeah, I definitely agree. I've been a part of several. I'm currently a member of two, and they're awesome. Uh, you can listen to one of them at entreprogrammers.com, and I'll put a link to that in the show notes. And then the other one's kind of a private group. It's actually a men's group. Don't hate us for that. <laughs> but uh, And I didn't organize it, but, you know, it's it's really been good for me, just the people that the person who's put it together has attracted to that group. You know, and he prefers to work with men, and that's fine. But we talk about and go into the things that, that I care about, and so it makes a difference there, um, which is why I signed up. But, yeah, it, it makes a huge difference, and, you know, the focus is a little bit different between each one, and that's also very nice because yeah. then we can – you know, in the one group, we dig a lot more into business and lifestyle. And in the other one, we dig a lot more into, you know, personal, spiritual and uh, family and stuff like that. And so they're both very helpful in different ways. Oh, that's great. How many people are in your masterminds? Entreprogrammers, there are four of us. Yeah, I feel like four or five is like a pretty good, a good amount of people. Yeah, the other group, I think there are six or seven of us. And uh, I will admit that I enjoy the calls more that usually have like four or five people. Yeah. <laughs> so one thing yeah. that I found that's really good, uh, you know, this actually works better, I think, in larger groups um, where it's not a classical mastermind. But, you know, if you have people that have similar problems to what you're running into, like sometimes they'll pose a question like, hey, I'm, I, I'm trying to do this. I'm having problems. And it's not like they need technical help, but just like more of the emotional like struggle. And like nine times out of 10, I can tell them like, hey, you need to do this exact thing. Just here's your first step, second step, third step. You know, I help them through it. It's like an easy thing for me to solve. And then by the time we're done, I'm looking at myself like, dang, and I get stuck by that. And then you <laughs> kind of really realize like everyone like pretty much knows what to do to solve their problem. It's just when it's your problem, it's so harder and you get freaked out. And so having someone who's even, even if just one person, just kind of similar to you enough that you can have them tell you what to do. It makes it feel so much better. Oh, that's why, you know, coaching is so powerful, right? Just someone that sees your blind spots and kind of, you know, calls you on your BS. <laughs> it's really, really powerful. Yeah, yeah. There's, but there's also the thing, and, and this is the other thing that Eric was saying was, you know, I've had the experience where basically I wind up giving somebody advice on something. And then at the end, I'm like, I'm glad we're recording this because I need to hear what I just said. <laughs> right. Yeah, I think I think we often know the answers. But um, yeah, when it's in your own business, you're sort of, you can't see the forest through the trees, right? So it's it's always, I think, important to get other, you know, bit, whether it's business friends or these masterminds, just get other perspectives. And uh, yeah, get out, get out of your freelance bubble when you're working at home. All right. Well, let's go ahead and do some picks. Eric, do you have picks for us? Yeah. So I have a pick and it's kind of a meta pick. So uh, it's picking July. Picks. 
Yeah, it's July right now and Oregon's having, you know, what Oregon would call a heat wave. And so I ended up having to give my fan that I rent in my office to my daughter. And so I had to get a new one, started looking around and I found this one. It's called a Vornado 53 or 530. It's like, a, you know, a little small fan, but it's not actually a fan. It's an air circulator. And so this is the meta pick. Um, even if you don't need a fan, don't even want it. Look this up, look this company up. Um, they have two or three short YouTube videos explaining why it's not a fan. It's an air circulator. But it's amazing because the way they positioned it is like I was looking at $20 fans and like re- kind of regretting the price. Like, I don't know if I want to spend 20 bucks for a fan. But then I dumped $45 on this air circulator. But <laughs> if you need a fan, this one's great. I'm running this in my office. Like it's it's so quiet because it's it's a lot more powerful than the one I had. But if you want to see positioning and how to make kind of a commodity product but stand out and be you know 2x, 3x the price of your competitors – they did a pretty good job on this. I think their website's kind of you know old and dated, but the actual the videos and kind of their um, their content, their copy is really good at it. Vornado. Yeah, I, I think know. it's a vortex tornado is what they're trying to play on. <laughs> That's awesome. Like a sharknado. <laughs> All right, uh, I've got a pick here real quick. I really like the discussion on masterminds. So I'm just going to throw that out there, even though it has nothing to do with my pick. But as many of you may or may not know, I'm f- I'm very involved in Boy Scouts particularly Cub Scouts, uh, which are the younger boys, ages 8 to 10. I do training at what we call Roundtable, which is the leader training every month. Um, And leaders are, it's basically required training, though many leaders view it as optional. Anyway, one of the guys there that does the training is really into paracord. I don't know if you all know what paracord is, but it's woven together and it's got the strands in the middle. It's pretty strong stuff. And uh, he ties these amazing things with it. And at the last roundtable, we did a round robin training. So, of course, I couldn't go to his training. But uh, afterward, while we were planning out the next month's worth of activities, which is uh, our yearly planning and then next month's meeting, he showed us how to tie these fobs for your keychain. And that was a lot of fun. And then he showed us how to tie Turk's head knots, which work really nicely for things like decoration on a walking stick or a neckerchief slide if you're into scouting. So anyway, uh, that's a long way of saying that I'm picking paracord, and it's really cool. You can buy paracord pretty cheap on Amazon, and there are all kinds of YouTube videos and websites for it. And so, yeah, I'm going to pick paracord. Um, I also want to point out, I need to figure out where he got it from, and I'll put a link to this in the show notes as well. But he basically had this little thing that you slide like a Zippo lighter into, like the regular cigarette lighters that you buy at the gas station, the little plastic ones. And you drop that in there, and then you just push a button on it, and it it shoots flame like a blowtorch. It's really cool. Yeah, Bic, not Zippo. Anyway, so yeah, and you just drop it in there, and it. I'm sure it burns through the, the butane in it really fast, but... Um, <laughs> It, it was really cool for melting the ends of uh, your paracord, and it was, I'm sure, also uh, a great way of leaving your mark on things if you're destructive. So, <laughs> but I'll put a link to that in the show notes as well, just because I thought it was cool. Marie, do you have some picks for us? Oh man, my picks are going to be so boring compared to like flamethrowers and vornadoes. But uh, I was going to say the Strategic Designer book by David Holston is pretty awesome for any any freelance designers that are trying to understand maybe how to bring more value into what they're doing and kind of see what's happening in the design industry. So that definitely opened up my eyes in a big way. Uh, Creative Confidence. I don't know if you guys have heard of that book by the guys at IDEO. 
those guys are so Mm -hmm. awesome. And just like looking at, you know, research and experimentation in your business and ways to think about creativity and get your brain kind of thinking in new ways. So that one has been a huge, huge uh, influence over the last year, Creative Confidence. Highly recommend that book. Like even programmers, designers, anyone in the creative space, I think, could benefit from that book for sure. Um, And another one too, this might be kind of off, not really off track. I still think it's relevant, but... uh, Brene Brown, I don't know if you guys know of her work, but she's got an excellent TED Talk on the power of vulnerability, which is, I think, amazing just for any human to actually watch that talk. It's really powerful stuff. I don't know if you guys are familiar with her her stuff, but... Uh, I talk- think I heard an interview with her when I was listening to... It used to be Speaking of Faith, and now it's On Being. It's a podcast about mm. spirituality and just being people. Yeah, she stu- she's a researcher, and she studies human connection, and... Uh, yeah, she talks about how there's power in vulnerability, and I've I've definitely experienced that in being willing to kind of show people behind the scenes into my own business. So it's, I've had people say, "Wow, I can't believe how open you're being, like how vulnerable you're being, you know, with your students." But it's only led to good things. Like I think there is definitely power in vulnerability. So I highly recommend checking out her interview. Very cool. If people want to know more about Digital Strategy School or anything else you're working on, where do they go? They can go to digitalstrategyschool.com or mariepoolin.com and recently partnered up with Ben at weareokidoki.com and we're working on doki.io. So you can check out any of those. We're pretty active on Twitter too. So you can find me at uh, Twitter, uh, at Marie Poulin. I own all the Marie Poulins, Skype, Twitter, you name it, Marie Poulin. You are the Marie Poulin. I'm the Marie Poulin. <laughs> Very cool. What is doki.io? It's an online teaching platform. So a lot of the work I've been doing is within online courses, like helping other people build their online courses and, you know, working with WordPress sites and wishlist plugin and stuff. It's okay, but it's kind of limiting and lots of features that I sort of wish existed. So Ben said, why don't we build what we wish existed in the market? So that's what we're doing. It's a pretty ambitious project. We've been working on it for about a year. It's going to launch in uh, alpha this fall and beta in January. Nice. And we'll have to forgive the fact that you're using Ember. Yes, please do. (laughs) He's probably using Vim to write it too. That that would just, anyway. All right. Well, I don't uh, care as long as it ships. I know. You have a hard time on Twitter. (laughs) I think it's obligatory at this point, but yeah, if it works, right? All right. Well, let's go ahead and wrap up the show. Thanks again for coming, Marie. Thanks for having me. All right. Well, quickly announced before we totally wrap up, I'm going to be in the Dallas-Fort Worth area basically this coming weekend as this releases. So uh, you will be getting this episode the morning that I board a plane and fly to Dallas. So if you're interested, watch me on Twitter because I am going to be doing a meetup event on Thursday night and this releases Thursday morning. Anyway, we'll wrap up the show. We'll catch everyone next week. This episode is sponsored by Mad Glory. You've been building software for a long time, and sometimes it gets a little overwhelming. Work piles up, hiring sucks, and it's hard to get projects out the door. Check out Mad Glory. They're a small shop with experience shipping big products. They're smart, dedicated, will augment your team, and work as hard as you do. Find them online at madglory.com or on Twitter at madglory. Hosting and bandwidth provided by the Blue Box Group. Check them out at bluebox.net. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more. 
Would you like to join a conversation with the Freelancer Show panelists and their guests? Want to support the show? We have a form that allows you to join the conversation and support the show at the same time. Sign up at freelancershow.com slash form. 